Footprints presents The Incredibles, a series where you meet ordinary but incredible individuals. If I compare my life to a cup of Tibetan butter tea, Tibetan opera will be the butter of my life. If there is no Tibetan opera, my life will be tasteless, just like a cup of Tibetan butter tea without the butter. Every time when I wanted to practice the opera, I would go to the balcony and close the door. I would only sing after my roommates had all woken up. In the cold of winter, I would put on my down jacket and practice on the balcony again and again. 28-year-old Tenzin Yashi is a fervent performer, researcher and promoter of Tibetan opera, a UNESCO intangible culture heritage. Stay tuned to this episode of Footprints to find out why and how this young man is so intoxicated with this traditional Tibetan art. In October 2021, a slim young man from Lhasa went on stage in a popular television contest held in Guangzhou featuring traditional music. Wearing a yellow mask, depicting a sad old man, the young performer named the Tenzin Yashi presented a 90-second performance called A Journey to Purifying the Heart. The performance combined music played by the traditional Tibetan musical instrument Dramning and a short singing section of Tibetan opera. Through the performance, Yashi called for people to protect the environment. It turns out that the sad old man mask symbolized an aging and weeping planet Earth, overly exploited by mankind and damaged by human activity. Yashi's performance won the hearts of the judges and audience. He advanced to one round after another in the contest, called Guo Yue Da Dian, literally means the grand ceremony for original Chinese national music, jointly staged by Guangdong and Shanxi televisions. Yashi won third prize in that competition. All the people in the contest loved my performance. It's beyond my expectation. I cried at the end of it. Through all my performances in the contest, I tried to highlight Tibetan opera. I hoped that more people could experience it by this television show. Tibetan opera boasts a history of more than 600 years, much older than most of China's local and national operas, including the better-known Peking opera that has also won international acclaim. 
Tibetan opera is called Ajilamo in the Tibetan language. What does it mean? Aji means sisters. Lamo means fairies. There were seven girl performers recruited by our founder, Dangdong Japo. They performed so well that their audiences compared them to the beautiful fairy girls descending from heaven to the earth. Thus, Tibetan opera got its name, Aji Lamo. In the 14th century, Tandong Japo was a high-ranking monk and iron bridge builder living in Tibet. Initially, he recruited and taught the seven beauties to sing and dance at his fundraising events for his bridge projects. Tibetan opera is believed to have originated from then, so Tandong Japo came to be considered the father of this art form. Being very proud of Tibetan opera's legendary history, Yeshi is playing a key role in carrying on this tradition which already existed for more than 600 years. He is now a member of the Shopa Tibetan Opera Troupe, a private entity based in Lhasa, capital of the Tibet Autonomous Region in southwest China. He joined the ensemble in 2016 and one year later, he made his debut on stage. In the summer of 2017, people in Tibet were celebrating the seven-day holiday of the Shoten Carnival Festival. Yashi and his troupe were invited to perform at the Nobulinka Park in Lhasa, the former summer palace of the Dalai Lamas, living Buddhas worshipped by local people. Our troupe didn't perform at the Norbulinka Park for three consecutive years before 2017. So each of us in the troupe was looking forward to the opportunity. For me, it was my debut, and I could perform in Norbulinka, so I was very excited. In the hearts of local Tibetan artists, Norbulinka is akin to the Golden Hall in Vienna. The reason for the Shopa Tibetan Opera Troupe being excluded from performing for three years in this golden hall is that the troupe was too good. It outperformed its competitors in previous contests. As a result, organizers decided to bar it in order to give other Tibetan opera troops a chance. The night before his debut, Yeshi was too excited and nervous to sleep. I was full of expectations and nervous. I closed my eyes and could hear my heartbeat. I didn't know whether I could perform well the next day. Nervous. I tossed and turned in bed and couldn't fall asleep until 4 in the early morning. Two hours later, I woke up and couldn't get back to sleep. So I got up and went from my home to the Norbalinka Park to get ready. He arrived at the park early and helped his troupe prepare the stage. After putting on his costume, he became even more nervous. I was to play the role of a minister to the king, so I had to walk on stage before the king. Actually, I was leading the procession. I was so worried about my pace that I often looked at my feet. My mentor with his mask on gave me a look, signing to me to walk with my head up high. 
Immediately, I did what he signed to me and walked to the spot assigned to my role on stage. At that moment, I was settled. That day, from morning until evening, Yashi and his fellow performers staged the play of Bama Wopa for nine hours to an audience of three to four thousand. Overcoming his initial nervousness, he handled his part of a government minister and other minor roles well through the long, drawn-out performance. As our performance went on, I became immersed in my role and gradually adjusted my psychological state. I transformed from a state of extreme nervousness to a state of enjoyment. The play, Bema Wopa, tells the story of a son of a wealthy merchant in a kingdom in ancient Tibet, fighting and defeating demons. The story goes like this. Once upon a time, there lived a greedy and brutal king. He envied the wealthy merchant named Nobu Sampo, who was both competent and kind-hearted. The king was jealous and conspired to get rid of the merchant by sending him to the sea to seek treasures. Nobu Sampo obeyed his orders and never came back. Later, Nobu Sampo's wife gave birth to a son called Bema Wopa, who grew up, took revenge, and finally defeated the evil king and brought peace and happiness to the people in Tibet. The story interweaves traditional Tibetan folklore, religious resurrection, revenge, and the moral teaching of virtue trumping evil. On stage, Yashi performed the various actions and songs and sayings. The audience expressed their appreciation and bombarded him with Hada, the most sacred and valuable gift Tibetan people can present to greet their most honored friends from near and afar. I have been in love with the Tibetan opera since childhood. When I went to watch the opera in Norbolinka Park with my family as a child, I wondered how wonderful it would be if I could be on stage like the opera performers. At the end of my debut performance in Norbolinka, the audience gave us performers hada. Many of them gave me hada. I was very happy. To be honest, I was exhausted. But I was ecstatic and had a mysterious sense of fulfillment. It was my childhood dream coming true for me. According to Yashi, his Tibetan opera fever started all the way back in the good old days, as far as his memory could carry him to. I lived in a large community in Lhasa. There was a park inside the neighborhood. Each summer, Tibetan opera performances were held there. Whenever I heard the sounds of the performances nearby, I, then three or four years old, would become unsettled. I would ask my grandparents to take me to watch the performances. Merely watching was not enough to quench the thirst of this little fan. 
While watching the performances, I would pick up small tree branches on the ground and use them as my props to put up my own show alongside the performers on stage. My grandparents were astonished by my behavior. They wondered why I was so glued to the Tibetan opera. His grandmother once even joked that he must have been a Tibetan opera performer in his former life. In fact, Yashi was born into a family of artists. His grandfather, a player of the traditional Tibetan musical instrument, drumming. His grandmother, a dancer. His father, a cellist. While his mother is a violinist. The rich artistic family atmosphere has had a profound impact on him. His family had expected him to become a professional musician instead of a Tibetan opera performer. I lived with my grandparents. They liked to drink. Whenever they got a little bit drunk, they would summon our relatives and their good friends to our house. Then my grandpa would play drumming while my grandma danced. So I was immersed in such an atmosphere of traditional Tibetan music and art. Things didn't go as his parents and grandparents had wished. Yeshi didn't get on to the path of becoming a musician. He refused to learn the cello as his father had wished. People in China emphasize academic studies. Yeshi's parents are no exception. When he was at primary school, they encouraged him to study hard so that he could stand out in his class. As a result, he devoted his time and efforts to studies and failed to learn drumming as his grandfather had wished. However, at the age of twelve, one day he had a mysterious dream, and that dream brought the wayward child back to fold. In my dream, an old man looking like Santa Claus, sitting on a large cloud, pointed at me and said sternly, "Tenzin Yashi." I was scared in my dream. I said, "Old man, what's up?" The old man said, "You must go to learn the drumming starting from tomorrow." I said, "Okay." When I woke up the next morning, I was nervous and wondered whether my dream was a good omen. Then I said to my grandpa, "I wanted to learn drumming." Hearing this, he was very happy. His grandpa gave him a drumming, which he had treasured so much, and taught his grandson how to play. The first piece Yashi learned was a folk song from the region of Ningchi in southern Tibet. That was not a good choice for early learners. It has lots of dots and requires the player to master various movements of the fingers. Normally, beginners should learn easier pieces, but I insisted on learning this piece as it sounded beautiful. So my grandpa taught me. Strangely, I mastered it very quickly, less than a week to be specific. My grandpa was so astonished. Later in his spare time, he learned more local styles of drumming music with his grandpa. 
Meanwhile, his parents also spared no effort in influencing their son in Western classical music, mostly played on a CD player. However, despite his wide exposure to music and his love for it, in the end, Yashi had found passion in Tibetan opera. His natural talent for music and art helped him triumph in both drumming and Tibetan opera. Tibetan opera has always been in my mind, but it's only for several days in summer that Tibetan opera performances will be staged in Lhasa. When I was in high school, the schoolwork was tough, so I had no time to watch the opera. I remember during the seven-day Shatan festival holiday in one year, the operas were put on in the park behind the Potala Palace, which is also near my school. So during that time, I would run out of the school during break time to get a quick glimpse of the spectacle. In 2012, Yashi graduated from high school and enrolled in Minzu University of China in Beijing, 3,500 kilometers away from his hometown. He chose Tibetan studies as his major and dreamed about becoming an expert in Tibetan history and culture. While working hard academically, he hadn't completely put his drumming aside. I didn't give up playing drumming during my four years at college. I took my drumming with me to Beijing. I played drumming in my dormitory. Back then, I was young and loved to be in the limelight. So, I took part in various social events at college and played the drumming on various occasions. The drumming brought so much fun to his campus life. What's more, it brought a young woman who is also a lover of dance and music to his side, who later became his wife. Yeshi longed for Tibetan opera. Since there wasn't any opportunity for him to watch live performances, he turned to videos of Tibetan opera saved on his smartphone to quench his thirst. The situation lasted until the summer of 2016, just as... Yashi was about to graduate from university. He was told that the Shopa Tibetan Opera Troupe would be coming to Beijing to perform as part of a nationwide tour sponsored by the China National Arts Fund. His uncle was the stage designer for the troupe's Beijing performances. My uncle called me and said, I have good news for you. Your favorite Shopa Tibetan Opera Troupe is coming to Beijing. I said, really great. I will watch their performance. My uncle added that the performance would be staged in the auditorium on my campus. So I was super excited. You know, I have been a fan of them since childhood. Now I can get to know the performers in person. His uncle took Yashi to meet the members of the troupe. I introduced myself to the performers. I said I had been a fan of them since childhood. I know every one of them. They were astonished. But of course they didn't know me. We got to know each other. 
I helped them by doing some translation work and watched all their performances in Beijing. From that time on, I felt connected with the Tibetan opera in a real sense. Altogether, the troupe staged 14 performances in Beijing. At the end of the Beijing tour, Yashi gathered enough courage to tell the director of the troupe that he wanted to learn Tibetan opera. From that moment, Yashi officially transformed himself from a fan and an amateur to a professional Tibetan opera practitioner. There is a saying that you can't have your cake and eat it. By the time he made the decision to join Shopa, he had also decided to continue to pursue his master's degree of Tibetan studies in Beijing. Since the Shopa troupe is based in Lhasa, he found it extremely challenging to balance between the two. This time, modern technology played a role in solving his dilemma. As I was about to leave Lhasa for Beijing at the end of my summer vacation to continue my master's degree studies, my mentor recorded a short scene on my smartphone. He asked me to practice by watching a video when I went to Beijing. So, I then recorded a series of videos of my mentor performing Tibetan opera. Through WeChat, he also recorded songs for me to learn. So, I practiced the opera whenever I had time on campus. Regular opera is loud. So, too, is Tibetan opera. Yashi had to find a place to practice. The balcony of his dormitory happened to be tucked away in a corner of a building. Every time when I wanted to practice the opera, I would go to the balcony and close the door. I would only sing after my roommates had all woken up. In the cold of winter, I would put on my down jacket and practice on the balcony again and again. But soon, he would have to give up his private cozy practice space after the outdoor unit of an air conditioning system was installed there. It brought the temperature in the balcony up to an unbearable high of 40 plus degrees Celsius in summer. Yashi had to find a new place for practicing Tibetan opera. The small laundry room in his dormitory became his second stage. The laundry room inside my dormitory had no window. That was a good place for me. I went in and lit incense to hide the foul smell. Then I asked my roommates whether they were going to use the laundry room. They said no. I said good. I will occupy it for half an hour. Then I closed the door of the laundry room and practiced singing Tibetan opera in it. Under the remote tutoring of his mentors, Yashi worked hard trying to acquire the basic skills of performing Tibetan opera. For postures and movements on stage, he went to the park at midnight after people had retreated indoors and gone to sleep. This way, he could avoid attracting the attention of strangers, shunning suspicious and unwelcome looks, as many would regard his actions weird and unfamiliar. Though self-training was no easy task, when recalling those days, Yeshi says they were fantastic and a happy experience that he'd cherish, as he really enjoyed the Tibetan opera. Believe it or not, 
During the three busy years of studying for his master's degree while practicing his favorite opera, Yashi also managed to work as an intern for two days a week in an IT company. The benefit of that particular exposure was that he tasted a faster-paced and strenuous life typical of a white-collar worker in a megacity and found himself loathing it. He took refuge in Tibetan opera. I was very tired when I came back to my dormitory. I didn't know why. Maybe it was the fast pace of the work during the daytime at the IT company that made me so stressed and depressed. So I went to the playground, practiced Tibetan opera, singing and dancing. I practiced it to the last bit of my energy. Then I went back and took a shower and then went to sleep. In 2019, he graduated with his master's degree in Tibetan studies. Armed with professional knowledge about the Tibetan language, literature, culture, and history, he went back to Lhasa to practice and carry out research on Tibetan opera, which has eventually become his lifelong obsession. On this journey, he was offered an amazing opportunity on a plate. But to the surprise of many, he turned down. It was an offer from a government-funded Tibetan opera troupe of the Tibet Autonomous Region. First, I wanted to do things in my own way and continue to improve my performing skills. Second, if you get a stable job at a public-funded entity, many people find their passion fades with the passage of time. So, a stable and well-paid job is a curse to some extent. I didn't want to be in that kind of situation, so I didn't take up the offer. Thus, in order to financially support himself, Yashi took various kinds of part-time jobs, including teaching at a private school and running a small theater with a friend. He persisted in his efforts as an unpaid member of the private Shopa Tibetan opera troupe, which shocked his parents. The fact that their son hadn't got a stable job was unacceptable for them. They expected him to take the civil servant exams and become a government official, as most parents in Lhasa would wish their children would do. I told my parents, please allow me to do what I want for several years. They couldn't understand me. They thought it's a waste of time for me to do Tibetan opera. Whenever I talked about the troupe I joined, they would object. So, I was depressed for some time. It's very painful for you if you can't get support from a family for what you really love to do. It is his love for Tibetan opera, as well as the understanding and support of his girlfriend, that helped him survive the depression. Now, six years into his joining the Chopin troupe, Yashi is helping to bring the artistic level of the troupe to new heights. First and foremost, I'm a Tibetan opera performer. Meanwhile, I'm assisting the director of the troupe in handling management affairs. I also conduct educational training for the troupe members. More or less, I think I'm the assistant for the director of the troupe. Yes, she chose to be unpaid 
because he doesn't want to add to the financial burden borne by the already economically strained troop. Like all the other 150 or so private Tibetan opera troops in Tibet, Yeshi's troop is faced with a constant challenge to earn income to stay in business. To make ends meet, many of the performers have to do part-time jobs, such as running a restaurant or driving a cab. The situation began to change for the better in recent years as government financial support started to kick in. From 2020, local authorities in Lhasa began to subsidize the wages of the Shopa troop performers. Thanks to the subsidy, members of the troop can earn about 3,000 yuan a month on average, just enough for them to meet their basic needs in life. To further improve the economic situation of Tibetan opera performers, Yashi calls for more financial support from other sectors of society. We hope more foundations, like the China National Arts Fund, can lend their financial support to Tibetan opera troops. Now we are seeking support from various sources. We want to establish an association encompassing all the private Tibetan opera troops so that we can better deal with their sponsors and raise money as a group. As a well-educated man with a master's degree, Yashi has been given the task by the director of his troop with conducting regular training sessions to improve the educational level of troop members, most of whom only having a primary school or junior middle school educational background. In addition to that, Yashi is also involved in creating shows. So far, he has produced a few pieces featuring the playing of Jermaine for the troupe. The more he gets involved in the show, the more he practices and researches, the better and deeper Yashi comes to understand the art he loves so much. He knows where the attraction of Tibetan opera lies. According to Yashi, there are hundreds of forms of traditional opera in China. Among them, Peking Opera, Shaoxing Opera, and Huangmei Opera, adopting Han Chinese dialects and focusing on Han Chinese history and culture, are the most famous and have already built up a mature fan base of their own in various parts of China. By contrast, Tibetan opera, adopting the Tibetan language and focusing on Tibetan culture and religious tradition, is mainly popular in the Tibet Autonomous Region and among Tibetan communities in the neighboring Sichuan, Qinghai, and Yunnan provinces. Only occasionally do some Tibetan opera troops, including his Shopa troupe, show up in Beijing, Chengdu, and other major cities in inland China. Like other forms of traditional opera in China, Tibetan opera performances also embrace singing, dancing, and acrobatics. But its unique features are obvious. While Peking opera, Shaoxing opera, and Huangmei opera usually tell stories of history, politics, society, and the daily lives of ordinary people, and performances are staged in indoor settings, 
Tibetan opera focuses more on legends and religious teachings, and performances are usually staged outdoors. Moreover, performers often wear masks. Yes, she says another outstanding key feature of Tibetan opera is that it has no fixed musical notes. In Tibetan opera, its musical instruments are mainly drums and cymbals, which have no musical notes. We can't force a drum to make a C note. Why should the opera adopt no notes? That's because a performance usually lasts for a whole day. An elite performer may have to present scores of singing styles during the long performance. If a high tone is set due to the addition of new musical instruments, it'll be impossible for the actor to do it. Such a unique genre of performing art deserves to survive. Yet, as Yashi laments. Just like other forms of traditional opera, one major challenge his favorite art faces is cultivating a fan base among the young people, only to a much higher degree. Every time when we go out to perform, we find that at least seventy percent of our audiences are middle or old aged. There are very few young audience members. He notes that many young people have become consumers of fast food style entertainment, easily available on social media platforms, especially the short video platforms. Thus, Tibetan opera, with one play lasting for hours or even a whole day, doesn't suit their tastes. Yashi has proposed a solution to this dilemma. What we need to do is to cultivate our audience instead of making a major change to our art. As long as there is a stable fan base, we can then make changes to our art. For example, Troupe A performs very well. Troupe B performs badly. In the eyes of fans who don't really understand the art, they are the same. This is not good for the healthy development of Tibetan opera. So we have to cultivate audiences who really understand this art. He tried to draw new audiences, starting with his family and friends. Under his influence, his wife became one of the new fans of Tibetan opera. My wife is from Qinghai Province. Originally, she didn't watch the Tibetan opera and had no idea of it. So after we met, I had to repeatedly explain to her what this art is all about. In 2020, when we went to watch the Tibetan opera in the rural regions of Lhasa, she began to recognize which singing style was good and which was bad. So I was astonished and very delighted. From 2019, Yashi has taken on a new mission to promote his beloved art. He has held symposiums among young people to help them understand and come to love the traditional art form. He has also posted short videos on social media platforms featuring the art to attract the new fans from home and abroad. He says one of his ambitions is to bring his troupe to perform Tibetan opera overseas. 
In addition to cultivating the market in the Tibet Autonomous Region, we should also develop the market in the inland areas of China. We can even go abroad. As a Tibetan opera performer, I think we should have such a vision. Every day, Yeshi switched between his different roles as a performer, researcher, and promoter of Tibetan opera. His efforts are paying off. Recently, he has been commissioned by the Ministry of Culture and Tourism to draft a book about Tibetan opera for an encyclopedia about all the traditional operas in China. The book is yet to be published. His parents' attitude towards him has also changed as he continues to make steady progress in his pursuit and has made a name for himself in artistic circles in Tibet. Seeing what I have achieved, my parents have shifted from opposition to 100% support for what I have been doing. Looking to the future, Yeshi plans to apply to the Chinese National Academy of Arts for his doctor's degree studies, focusing on the practice and research of traditional arts and his favorite Tibetan opera in particular. I don't know how long I will live. Each time I go on stage to perform means one step towards my last. It means opportunities for my experience of this art form diminish with each time I come on stage. So I treasure very much each and every time I perform on stage. With that, we conclude this episode of Footprints. Thanks for listening. I'm Man Ling. If you are interested in hearing more about the lives of ordinary people in China, follow us on Apple Podcasts. Just the key in Footprints, and you can find more stories anytime, anywhere. We will see you next time. Bye for now.